0: Well, good morning, church. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 we will have the Scriptures up on the screen, as well as we always have Bibles out in the lobby. You can feel free to grab as you walk in as well, but... As you are turning there, I want you guys to imagine something with me this morning, okay? I want you to imagine and picture yourself walking through the woods, okay? You're out on a hike, and let's say it's a beautiful fall day. Uh, it's, a, it's just the crispness is in the air, right? Let's say the, the leaves haven't fallen yet, and so you're surrounded by trees with bright colors, bright oranges and reds and yellows, and it's just a beautiful day as you walk through the woods, and then you round a corner and you come across a creek, all right? But this creek is not as beautiful as the other surroundings. This creek is full of, of trash bags and garbage, and there's things littered all over the place. There's scraps of metal. It just The air smells bad. The water looks cloudy and murky. And so you decide, hey, I'm going to clean this creek up. I'm going to get it back to the way it should look with all this beautiful surroundings. And so you, you spend all day picking up the trash, collecting all the garbage. You clean out the water, and you get everything back to the way it should look. The water is sparkling. The air smells nice. All the trash is picked up. Well, you go home and, and you, you, you go to bed, you, you rest because it's been a long day of working hard, but you decide that the next morning you're going to wake up and you're going to go back to that creek to enjoy all the fruit of your hard work, of, of picking things up. And so you, you wake up the next morning excited, you jump out of bed, you start going through the woods, everything's beautiful, you round the corner and your heart sinks. Because once again, the creek is full of trash and garbage and scraps of metal, and it smells bad again, and the water's all cloudy and murky. There's rotting food, things like that. You think, what in the world happened? Someone must have camped here, had a party and just trashed the place. So you decide that you're gonna pick up and clean things up again. And so you work hard all day to clean things up, you make it look really nice, and instead of then going home, you decide you're gonna camp out, you know, camp out by the creek to make sure no one messes with this. And so you you camp and you sleep and you, you look forward to waking up in the morning to enjoy this beautiful creek. But when you wake up, once again, trash bags floating garbage everywhere, back to the mess that it was a couple of days ago. Now, instead of, instead of cleaning up the creek this time, you decide you're going to hike, you're going to walk upstream and see where this water is flowing from. And so you start to hike upstream a couple of miles, and what you find is you stumble upon the world's largest dump, with piles of trash just so high, and they're they're toppling over into this reservoir that then is flowing down your beloved creek. And you realize that working really hard on your little section and part of the creek, it really is useless if garbage is going to keep flowing down through it. And what you realize is that what needs to be dealt with first is the source, of the pollution. What needs to be dealt with first is the source of the pollution. And, and the text this morning, church, that we are in, in Mark 7, starting in verse 14, it is a continuation from last week. So you'll remember that the Pharisees and the scribes, they have come to Jesus. They have accused his disciples of breaking their, their traditions, their ceremonial laws. Again, not, not breaking God's law, but breaking their traditions and rituals. Jesus responds to them by calling them hypocrites right? Which means that they are just acting apart. They are pretending, performing. He exposes them as maybe honoring God with their lips, but their hearts actually being far from the Lord. And we talked about how in humanity's prideful pursuit of self-righteousness, tradition often does distort the truth. And the Pharisees, you see, they were all about keeping the external clean. But Jesus, being God in the flesh, can see that while on the outside they appear clean, their hearts are not. And so now we get to verse 14, and Jesus is going to graciously show us that what needs to be dealt with first is the source of the pollution. He's going to lovingly and graciously walk alongside of us upstream to the source of the pollution in our lives. He's going to teach us where the reservoir is that flows out in and through our lives and you see we need to hear this this morning because church people if we're honest we can tend to be like the pharisees we are great at cleaning up the creek but jesus is going to walk us upstream and show us where all the sin in our life is coming from okay you guys ready Mark 7, that wasn't very... Okay, you guys ready? At least give me a head nod. We're ready. All right, let's go. Mark 7, verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, unless you have a King James Version or a few other versions, you will notice there is no verse 16. I, I, at first, I thought they jipped me on my Bible purchase, like I paid full price, and they left out verse 16. But you see, some of the manuscripts do, do include a verse 16, which says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, that's a common saying and phrase that Jesus said, and so uh, very well he could have said that in this, in this instance, um, but it wasn't in all the original manuscripts, and so the ESV has left out verse 16. FYI, if you're really trying to mess with someone or keep them occupied, have them look up Mark 7, verse 16. And if they have an ESV, it will be very frustrating for them, all right? But either way, verse 14, whether it's there or not there, uh, it doesn't really change the meaning of the passage because verse 14, he already says, Hear me, all of you, right? He's calling people together. He's saying, hey, listen up. This is important. You're going to need to understand and hear this. Verse 15. Now, this happens often when Jesus teaches. He teaches the crowd in a parable, and then when he's alone with his disciples, the ones that are truly seeking the truth, he goes into a little bit more detail to try to explain the truth behind the parable. And so Jesus, what he does is he gives us a little bit of a brief anatomy lesson, right? When you eat something, it does not go straight into your heart, okay? It goes into the esophagus, down into the stomach, through the small intestine, then the large intestine. We won't go into the other details, but then it is expelled, right? He's, telling, he's explaining. When someone comes inside you, that's, that's the process. It doesn't go to your heart. It is, instead, it is expelled from the body. And so in doing this, in explaining this to the disciples, in explaining this to us, Jesus is helping us see that the source of our uncleanness, the source of what makes us not right with God, is not outside of ourselves. The source of our sin is not from outside of us. The food you eat or drink, it doesn't go into your heart. It doesn't make you unclean. And then Mark gives a little commentary in verse 19, right, in parentheses. He says, thus he declared all foods clean. Now, it wouldn't be later on until Peter and the other disciples really start to catch on to this, okay? It's going to take Peter a few times. It's going to take another vision that he's going to have in Acts. It's going to take Paul calling him out on stuff, right? But eventually they understand that what Jesus was teaching was that now all foods are clean. But we can, we can cut them a little slack, all right? Because up until this point, there were certain animals that were clean, And there were certain animals that were unclean that you weren't supposed to eat or touch, okay, like pigs, right? And so Mark is trying to tell us that that one of the results of Jesus teaching that there is nothing outside of us that by going into us can make us unclean, by doing that, he's essentially declaring that now all foods are clean. And all God's people who like to wrap their food in bacon said, Amen, that's right. Okay, all right. If you need a text to justify your bacon eating, you can go to this text, okay? But Jesus is saying, he's saying even more than that, even more than just declaring all foods are clean, he's saying that the source of your sin and the source of your uncleanness and the source of you not being right with God, it is not out there. The source of your sin is your heart it is from your unclean heart that all of this sin flows out in and through your life and into the world. Mark 7, keep looking with me at verse now, verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, which would include any sort of sexual behavior outside of a covenant marriage, right? Then theft. Theft is stealing, taking what's not yours. That comes out of your sinful heart. You don't necessarily learn that from someone else, right? Keep looking through the list. Murder, taking an innocent life. Adultery, violating the marriage covenant, whether physically, mentally, or emotionally. Verse 22, coveting. It's a desire for more at the expense of others. Wickedness is a deliberate and, and, and intentional doing of evil. Deceit is deception or dishonesty. Sensuality is this unbridled, shameless living that lacks any moral discernment or any restraint. Envy, envy means jealousy rooted in unbelief. It's envy believes that God is withholding his best from you. Slander. Slander is speaking evil of someone to to hurt their reputation. Pride is an arrogance and a boastfulness. Foolishness is this senselessness, this spiritual insensitivity. Verse 23, all these things come from within, and they defile a person. All these evil things come out of the heart of man. Now, that word for man is, is referring to mankind, okay? Men and women. So women, you're not off the hook here, all right? This isn't saying that that just, just comes out of the heart of men, right? Men and women, these evil things come out of our heart. Out of the heart of mankind come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, now, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not actually re- referring to that four-chamber organ that, pop- that pumps blood through your body, okay? No, when the Bible talks about the heart, it is referring to the center of your being. The center of your being. It's talking about that place where your emotions, your desires, and your wills, where they're hanging out. Right? That is the heart. The heart is the the spiritual part of us that cannot be seen, but it's the place where uh, our emotions and our desires dwell. It's the center of our being. That's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about our hearts. And the Bible talks a lot about our hearts. The Bible says that your heart, your heart is like a fountain. It is like the reservoir and what is stored up in the reservoir is what is going to flow out into your life. It's what's going to flow out into your actions. It's what's going to flow out into your behavior and the choices and the things that you do in life. And so now everyone needs to listen, all right? Because Jesus, you know, even at the start of this passage, he calls people to himself and says, hey, you need to hear this. You need to understand this because he's about to teach us something here that is foundational to our faith. It's foundational to our faith, and it gives so much clarity in trying to understand ourselves and in trying to understand the world in which we live. Because if you don't understand this, what he's about to teach us, if you don't understand this, at best, you will live life frustrated and confused, and at worst, you're going to live Eternally separated from God. Jesus is saying, what makes you not right with God is not out there. Jesus is teaching us that our sin comes from within us. And I debated on whether or not to say it this way, that our sin comes from within because it rhymes. And anytime you rhyme something in church, you have the chance of it being really, really cheesy. Uh, But you also, I'm willing to risk that for the sake of it really could stick with you, right? Our sin comes from within, all right? It might be cheesy, but you'll hopefully remember. But you see, when humanity is confronted with sin— We have always been good at playing the blame game, right? Blaming something or someone else outside of us for our sin. Ever since God came looking for Adam in the garden after he had sinned, right? What what did Adam said? He said, well, it was that woman who you gave me, right? He's pointing outside of himself, Men, that men, that is that is not a new that is not a new cop out, right? Like your great 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 grandfather Adam said the same shameful thing, right? It is that woman who you gave me, God, that is why I sinned and disobeyed. Ever since then, ever since the fall, we have been looking outside of ourselves to blame something or someone else for why we sin. We play, sometimes we play the victim card, right? We try to excuse it. We try to explain away our sin. Well, you know, we say things like, well, maybe, you know, my parents didn't love me well enough. My dad didn't show enough affection to me, so I went looking for it somewhere else. Maybe it's been a, a, this person hurt me, so that's why I hurt them. Maybe it's a God didn't give me what I wanted, and so that's why I'm envious of what my neighbor has. Maybe someone has said something about me, so that's why I spoke badly about them. Or maybe you've said things like, well, I'm under a lot of stress, and so that's why I numb the pain with with food or, or with drink or with some other substance to just numb the pain. It's because of all this stress that I'm under or maybe you've said things like well it's my job my job is is frustrating and it, it demands a lot of me and that's why i'm anxious when confronted with our sin we falsely think that the source of it is out there and if only out there would change If only we could just change our circumstances, then then we wouldn't struggle with this sin, and it wouldn't be so difficult to obey God. Now listen, there might be some things, there might be some circumstances that that do kind of hook into your heart and make it easier to carry out sinful thoughts and actions, but listen, your sin does not ultimately come from your circumstances or from the people around you. Your sin comes from within your heart. Our sin comes from within us. And so if we want any chance at having joy in this life, if we want any chance at having a a peace that passes all understanding, we have to understand the state of our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Wow. That explains a lot. The, the unregenerate heart the heart that is still dead in its sins before Christ has saved that heart, that heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. That that makes the saying, follow your heart, that makes that saying really, really, really bad advice, right? Do not follow your heart. But you see, most people in our society, they are, Frustrated and they're confused by what they see going on around them. Most people in our society, we think that most of our problems will go away the more that people are educated, right? Let's educate more people. As the world becomes more civilized, a lot of our problems are going to go away. As technology advances, as we, as we apply what we have learned through science and through modern medicine, and as we implement these social structures into our society, then our problems are going to go away. A lot of people think that our problems will be less and less the more and more that we are civilized. And that was the state of many people in the educated class in England prior to World War II. They had this, there was this class that had this optimistic belief in the civilizing influence of progress and enlightenment and education. But then World War II happened. Then the Holocaust happened. And they were shaken to their core. It's the same thing in our society as well. I mean, I mean, here we are—an educated society, civilized society. We've got social structures, things in place. People are aware, they're learning, they're, they're 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 we're growing in our structures, and then a shooting happens. Terrorism happens. We think, what, how, what in the world? How can this evil still? Be happening? How can these problems still be happening? And so prior to World War II, there was this same thought and feel as well. David Cecil, who he was a historian in England during World War II, he wrote this after the Holocaust. He wrote, The jargon of the philosophy of progress taught us to think that the primitive state of man is behind us. He goes on to say, But barbarianism meaning extreme cruelty, brutality, think barbaric, right? He said barbarianism is not behind us. It is within us. Think about that. Barbarianism is not behind us. It is within us. And church, we we live in this society that is increasingly more educated more and more, quote, civilized, right? Learning more and more through science, technology, medicine. But then people look around, they watch the news, and they're frustrated, and they're confused by all that they see, both in the church world and out in the world, because if you watch in the news, what you're going to see is you're going to see sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, and you think, why? How can this be? And then our first thought is, what can we do to fix it out there? What what, what can we do out there to fix this? And so we think if we can just make some more policies, if we can just educate more people on this area, if we can just provide some training or do more of this or do more of that, and which all of that, by the way, should be done. I'm not against those things happening. But what I would argue and what Jesus teaches is that you cannot neglect the source of the pollution. Because if that's all we do, If all we do is focus on the external, if all we do is focus on fixing stuff out there, then all we have done is that we have cleaned up the creek, but we have ignored the source of our sin. We've neglected our hearts. Or maybe as a Christian, maybe, maybe we do this. We say, well, I see all that is happening out there, and so therefore I'm just going to shelter myself and my family from all that is out there, right? We, we do this. Christians do this. We, we falsely believe that it's the stuff out there that will cause us to sin. And so if it's the stuff out there that will make me unclean and unright before God, then I'm just going to shelter myself. We're going to go into that Christian bubble and we're going to stay as clean as we possibly can, right? And so we've, we've seen people do this, and, and there's different extremes of this, but some people have even gone to great lengths to shelter themselves from society. They've gone out into the woods. They've created like their own Christian communes, right? These closed societies with no contact uh, with the outside world. And yet, what are some of the stories you hear from those communes? You hear horrible stories of physical and sexual abuse, You hear stories of, even in those closed societies, people domineering for control, gaining power. Why? Because the ultimate source of our sin is not out there. Our sin comes from within us. And Jesus knows this, and he's gracious to reveal this to us. And he shows us that we desperately need God to do what only he can do. That's why David prays a prayer that we should echo from Psalm 51. Psalm 51 verse 10, it says this. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. One of the reasons Jesus came to earth was to atone for the sin that flows out of our hearts to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us you, you see the, the laws that god gave in the old testament they were always ultimately about the heart the, the ceremonial laws that God had given the nation of Israel, they were to distinguish right between clean and unclean animals. They were to only eat clean foods and not unclean foods. They were supposed to wash and purify themselves before offering sacrifices. That was always intended to point to them to the sinfulness of their own hearts. Those, those ceremonial laws were given to teach us about God's holiness to make us aware of our sinfulness of our own hearts and to show us our need for a savior someone who could restore fellowship between a holy god and a people whose hearts had been corrupted and held captive by sin and so jesus shows up on the scene Not to throw out the law, not to say, hey, forget the law, forget all that you were doing. It was pointless. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say in Matthew 5, 17? He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He came to fulfill them. So we are no longer bound to the ceremonial and the purification laws, not because they have been thrown out, but because Jesus has fulfilled them. His life, death, and resurrection has provided his people a once and for all purification from their sins. And Jesus is teaching his disciples that all these all these external acts of purification were ultimately to point to their need for heart purification because their sin and our sin, it comes from within us. But the traditions of the elders and the religious leaders at that time totally missed the point, right? They thought they were made unclean. They thought they were made not right with God by what was out there. And they did not understand that their hearts were desperately sick. And all the sacrifices of goats and lambs and bulls and all the sprinkling of blood to cleanse the people from sin, it was all pointing to Jesus Christ who saw the mess that sin had made in our lives and in our world. He saw the garbage and the mess in our creek that we were living in and swimming in and he lovingly picked up a cross and he walked up the hill of Calvary. He walked upstream and he willingly offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins so that our hearts could be purified, cleansed, and made new. So that the reservoir could be redeemed. Hebrews 10 Verse 19 and 23. Hear these words. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. From an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If our our sin comes from within us, then just trying harder to change our behavior, okay, listen church, just trying harder to change our behavior, that will not lead to lasting change. It won't. People have tried it. It doesn't work. You might be able to clean your life up for a day. But if the heart issues have not been dealt with, then tomorrow you're going to wake up surrounded by the same garbage. But if we're honest, sometimes it's hard to know what's in our heart, right? Sometimes it's hard to know what the heart issues are that that are leading to us to keep falling into these same sins, to keep struggling with what we're struggling with. It's hard to always identify and diagnose what what the heart issues are. But God, in His grace, He will often reveal these heart issues to us in His timing. And so sometimes this looks like a brother and a sister just speaking truth into our life. Maybe, maybe you share a prayer request at Citigroup. You want to pray about a family member who's sick, and, and someone can lovingly come alongside you and say, yes, we're going to pray for this family member that's sick, but, but what's that doing to your heart? Like, are, are you anxious about it, right? Are, are, you, are you doubting God about it? Are you wondering how to really love this person with the love of Christ? Like, how can we pray for your heart through that? A loving brother or sister is going to come alongside you and and help you see those things. Maybe you have a certain habit or addiction or something that you're struggling with. And a brother or sister can ask some probing questions. Why? Why are you struggling with that? What's the heart issue behind that? Sometimes God reveals our heart issues through reading His Word, right? We'll be reading the Word, and something just like cuts right to our heart, and it convicts us. It encourages us, but it, a lot of times it, it convicts, right? It's sharp. It hurts at first. Sometimes God reveals heart issues to us in our times of prayer. He brings things to the surface that we did not even know that they were there, but he brings them to the surface so that we can deal with them. Oftentimes, God reveals heart issues during times of stress and hardship. Now, I don't like that that's how he typically works, but that is a lot of times how he typically works. He reveals heart issues under stress or during hardship. But you see, we think that we react the way we do because of the circumstance. But God is actually using the circumstance to graciously reveal what is in our hearts. So let me say that again, all right? We think that we react the way we react because of the circumstance, but God is actually using the circumstance to graciously reveal to us what is in our hearts. When I lose my temper and I snap at my boys, when an unknown situation arises and I become anxious, when, when something good happens to a friend and I become jealous, when something good happens to me and I become prideful. If my sin really does come from within me, then it's not right for me to think that those circumstances made me angry, or that those circumstances made me anxious, or that that thing that happened made me jealous, or that that thing that happened made me prideful. No. Those circumstances just revealed the anger, the anxiety, the jealousy, and the pride that was already in my heart that Jesus is working on. Now listen, if you are in Christ, he has already ultimately cleansed your heart and given you a new one. Think of it as, right, the reservoir has been redeemed. But the truth is that the creek still has some junk downstream that God is still working on, right? That God is still sanctifying. And that work won't be complete until we see him face to face. But church, you must understand that your sin comes from within you. Your sin comes from within. And understanding that, it helps us know what the solution to that problem really needs to be. Because the solution to that problem is not to first ask the question, what can I do? The solution to that problem is instead to first ask the question, what has Christ already done? You see, when confronted or convicted with sin, our first reaction is going to be to try to do something about it right? We, we want to do something to make it right. So usually it ends up us trying to justify it ourselves. It usually ends up us trying to blame someone else for it or, or do something to clean up kind of the external, right? The exterior so that we look good to others. It, it's a lot like if a dinner guest uh, that you were having over for dinner came and brought you a cup and said, hey, this cup is dirty. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm sorry I gave you a dirty cup. Let me, give me the cup. You, you wash it. You get the warm, soapy water. You're kind of washing it. But all you do is you wash the outside of the cup, right? You just wash the outside. You hand it back to them. Here, here, it's, it's, it's clean. It's good. They look at it on the inside. There's like mold on the inside. There's like dirt, bugs crawling around it. They're like, no, 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 this this cup's dirty. Like, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. Okay, this time you wash it like five times but just the exterior, right? You pour bleach around it. You gently massage hand sanitizer onto it, right? You just make sure that the outside, it's just free of any bacteria. It's perfectly clean. But you neglect the moldy, dirty inside of the cup. That's often what we do when we are confronted or convicted by sin. We try to clean up the mess ourselves without finding the heart issue behind it. Without confessing and repenting of the heart issue that's in the reservoir that's feeding this behavior and this action that we're dealing with. And when we find that heart issue, when God reveals that to us, we need to take it to Jesus because only Jesus can clean the inside of the cup. So we take it to Jesus, we confess, we repent of it, and we trust him to cleanse us from the inside out. Now that's a a supernatural work of God, right? That that is evidence that a supernatural work of God has happened on your heart if you have the ability to repent of what you've been doing and trust in what Christ has done to repent of washing just the outside and trust Christ to wash the inside. That's faith. And this church is what we must do every day of our lives until we meet Jesus face to face. We must understand that our sin, it comes from within us, and we must continually repent of what we've been doing and trust in what Christ has done. And when we do this, when we understand that our sin is coming from within us, it's not because of our circumstances, but it's coming from within us, when we understand that it changes everything in life for us, right? For example, it changes how we view conflict when conflict happens with our spouse or with a friend or a family member or a coworker. Right? We've got Thanksgiving coming up. Surely some family conflict's going to happen this week for you, right? But this completely changes how we view that. You see, when we understand that our sin comes from within us, then it's not our family member that's making us angry. It's God revealing our anger through this conflict with our family. And praise God that this anger has been revealed so that we can confess it, repent of it, and allow Jesus to cleanse us from it. Or, or for example, when we start to grasp that our sin comes from within us, then, it's, then when our kids sin and disobey, we can come alongside them and, and lovingly discipline them, but, but, but we don't then just stop at just trying to modify their behavior or just make them more well-behaved, but we get to kind of press in and point them to the, the fact that ultimately they need to have a change of heart. They don't just need better behavior. They need to have a change of heart, and we can point them to their ultimate need to confess and repent of what they've been doing and trust in what Christ has done. When we live in the reality that our sin comes from within us, then we no longer just have to modify our behavior or try to behave better to follow Jesus. Listen, church. Jesus did not just come to change our habits. He came to change our hearts. If you've viewed your faith and following Jesus as just a way to change your behavior or your habits, you've settled short of the true joy of following after Christ. It's not that he just changes our behavior or our habits. It's that he changes our hearts. And when we know that our sin comes from within, we won't settle to just be people who merely honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. And then the beautiful thing happens. When we're convicted by sin, when sin comes to the surface, then we don't have to deny it. We don't have to excuse it. We don't have to blame others for it, and we don't have to hide it. We can confess and repent of what we've been doing and trust in what Christ has done. The the prayer for God to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit, that is a beautiful prayer that we should pray. And when you are saved, you are immediately declared right with God. You are given a new heart. But then there's this process of cleansing us from the residue of sin that is still in our life. And that will be a lifelong process. And church, it's going to take a lifetime and then some to fully appreciate And understand what Christ has done. His sacrificial life, death, and resurrection, among many things, it atoned for the sins of his people and it purified their hearts. So that the hearts of his people would no longer flow out with streams of evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, or foolishness. But instead, his people would now have hearts that would flood his world he's restoring with love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. John chapter 7 verse 37 and 38. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What a beautiful picture that is. Isn't God such a good and gracious God that he has looked upon the condition of our heart, and out of his free and sovereign love for us, he has set his affections on us, and he came to earth to cleanse us from the sin that was within us, that has flowed out from us, and has caused the mess of our lives and of our world. But now he has put his spirit inside us, so that now out of our hearts, will flow rivers of living water. Amen. And so in closing, let me, let me encourage you that as your sin, the sin that's been flowing out of your heart, as it gets revealed and exposed, don't hide it, don't justify it, don't excuse it, don't blame others for it, but instead confess and repent of it and trust in what Christ has done for you. He has paid the penalty for your sin, and he has released you from the power of sin. That now he has placed a spirit, his spirit within you, so that now out of your new heart flows rivers of living water. So may we be able to say, like the old song goes, right? I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see, opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, O oh well, in my soul. Spring up, O oh well. Let's pray.